0: Knowles, welcome to Front Row Knowles. As always, a big shout out to Seminole Boosters, longtime supporter of this program. Thank you to those of you who are Seminole Boosters and supporting Florida State Athletics. We are excited for the new year. Annual Fund, Bowden Society, Coaches Club, all almost to goal. So if you haven't stepped up already, I invite you to do so. And again, thanks to to Seminole Boosters for supporting Front Row Knowles. With that said, and without further ado, here's this week's show.
1: Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee. This is Front row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Roll Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal, the Hobson Way. Tom Block
2: and Keith Jones, this is Front Row Knowles. Cajun, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Tommy. I'm doing well. But before we even get started, we're gonna talk a lot of football. Uh, Best wishes, thoughts and prayers out to Brooke Wycliffe, the uh, women's head basketball coach, uh, underwent some surgery this week uh, for a procedure and uh, is expected to make a full recovery in return. But our thoughts and prayers for healing and and, uh, direction for the doctors and uh, the course of treatment out for Coach Brooke, uh, one of our favorites, one of our favorites. Wish her well. You, know, you and
0: I, uh, as as is evident if you listen to this show, don't do a lot of pre-planning, but we were on the same page there because that's where I wanted to start, too. So uh, that news was announced on Monday. Brooke, uh, get well soon. Looks like she's going to be back uh, or planning to coach uh, the season opener because right. basketball season is here, and uh, we certainly wish her the best. You know, it's, 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 we're, we're going to dive into football in the college playoff rankings, but good luck to the soccer team as well, which uh, won the ACC regular season cream and then gets into – conference tournament action in the postseason is right after that so it's an exciting team and we're going to talk about the college football postseason but but keith i guess the the good news is florida state's in the discussion as we talk about the college football postseason and and that's a place we haven't been in a few years and i don't mean postseason bowling i mean postseason
2: playoff and that, that you're exactly right it's better to be in the conversation than not in the conversation now we can get into the weeds should they be number four should they be number two why is this one there why isn't that one there uh, that's why ESPN puts this out early uh, so people like us can talk about it and and, and uh, discuss it uh, and maybe even disagree about it. That's okay. Uh, the obvious big picture is that Florida State controls their dis- destiny. They don't have to have any help from anybody else. Uh, if they went out, they will be there is most everyone's prediction. I hope that, and Mike Norvell, preaches, preaches,
0: preaches, the whole control what you can control. It's about us. It's about us. All of that. This is a week where it feels like the team really needs to have that mantra because the rest of us are saying, would I rather spend New Year's in Pasadena or in New Orleans?
2: And none of that matters if you don't win against Pitt on Saturday. Well, and the Pitt game poses some issues. We won't dive much into the actual contest. Uh, uh, We we don't do that a lot, but you know, Pitt's got some, some uh, emotional issues with some of the comments that Coach Nord- Nordizi made, uh, and how the players reacted to it. Uh, you've got a playing surface issue that's already resurrected itself. If you watched the the game last week, there've been some um, resodding of the turf, and uh, Florida State's already players already talked about uh, needing to change cleats and those types of things. So there's a lot riding on this ball game uh, that that maybe you haven't paid attention to much.
0: well. We'll do what we do. We'll talk about the clutter and the distraction, which is the college football playoff rankings. And we'll do that with our Osceola insider right after this on front row Knowles.
1: Front row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal. The Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith.
0: on Front Row no, it's time to open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, Ensuring Your Future Together and say hello to Bob Frante or Osceola this week and Bob has uh, been sleepless all night after waking up, or after seeing that Florida State is number four in the initial college football playoff rankings. Now I think the the objective was to be in and so Florida State checked that box but what did you think about the way the, uh, the cards uh, were stacked last night, Bob?
3: I don't exactly know how they slotted certain teams where they did I kind of felt like Washington based on that win over Oregon had earned a spot in Michigan's schedule seems pretty soft early that's going to perhaps correct itself and of course they play Ohio State to end the year I did think Florida had an argument to move up a little bit higher than four that's where they were in the coaches poll AP poll my reasoning being that that you've beaten three teams in this ESPN-FPI metric, being LSU, Clemson, and Duke. Realizing that a couple of those schools are not in the top 25 of the traditional polls, realizing Clemson's 4-4, four and four, um, the committee clearly had watched LSU and Florida State intensely. That was a premium Sunday night game, a showcase game, where you could tell that had an impact on how they viewed Florida State. And also Duke. Um, I thought it was interesting that the Boo Corrigan, the committee chair, is the NC State Athletic Director. He didn't mention the win at Clemson. I think a win at Death Valley for the first time in 10 years merits some of the resume for Florida State, even though you don't look at Clemson as the the powerhouse in, in 2023.
2: Well, guys, the bottom line is the only place that it matters is whether you want to play in the Rose Bowl or the Sugar Bowl. I thought Florida State would be at number two, given strength of schedule, or, or more importantly, Michigan and Georgia's poor strength of schedule. I think one of them's at 100 and one of them's at 107 or something. But and as Coach Norvell even talked about Tuesday, you know, you pay attention to it. It creates something for folks like us to talk about. But you know, this early in the thing, this early in the go-around, um, it, it's it's just for that purpose and you know, always remember you got a, you got a different committee. So how they did it last year, how they did it three years ago, really doesn't have any impact on how this group's going to do it. And it just creates for more conversation. That's why I'm glad when we get to 12.
3: Yeah. I think Mike Norvell has the right attitude. You don't want to be distracted at the end of the day. You, you know that you're eight, you know, you know that you're in a position to take care of business. And I thought a lot of the players were basically like, yeah, we're probably just going to find out on social media. You know, Keon Coleman said after the game on Saturday that he's probably going to watch an NBA game and then find out, you know, wherever Florida State's in the CFP. It's um, it's interesting debate. I'm sure it's great ratings for ESPN. We'll see what the ratings are for each of these, you know, CFP standings releases. It, it's, I'm sure it's very much a, a made for TV deal, but I, I do like the transparency of it. That we're starting on Halloween night. You're getting some data in front of you. And then you can maybe see week to week adjustment based on some results.
2: Hey, Tommy, my biggest takeaway was that every one of the other talking heads had to be in the studio, but Herb Street got, got to be at his house. That was my takeaway.
0: Well, Herb Street lives on the road Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday until he gets home in the wee hours Sunday morning. So it's probably somewhere on page 12 of that contract. <laughs> hey, Bob, to your point about. Uh, if you're going to rank these teams based on what they've done to date, then clearly Michigan and Georgia shouldn't be in there right now. But it feels to me like it was a little bit of, it's what the committee always does. It's a little bit of this metric. It's a little bit of eye test. It's a little bit of prestige, even though that should have nothing to do with it history, but it feels to me like they said, these are the best four teams and we're putting them in there. And as long as they take care of business, they'll be the best four at the end. And we're not going to have a, Two weeks from now, Washington's not going to jump into the top four unless somebody loses, right? Uh, I mean, I hope I'm right in that. I hope that Washington doesn't run the table and beat Oregon again, and then suddenly they they jump over Florida State, who's unbeaten, because it's more impressive to beat Oregon than to beat Louisville. But I, I it feels to me like they've kind of spelled it out that these are the top four.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. I think there was a little bit of a prestige pick for Georgia, you know, being the national champion, it it felt like they were going to be a little bit higher, even though that strength of schedule wasn't so, so challenging. Um, We'll see what happens with the Pac-12. They don't play a lot of defense out there. We've seen some wild games. Washington's been on the ropes and the committee clearly felt like there was a divide between the top four and Washington just based on some of those scores, they didn't look very impressive against, you know, Kenny Dillingham and Arizona state didn't look all that impressive against Stanford. Um, You know, I think, again, the arguments for Florida state so far, they played a a pretty good schedule. I think the committee admitted that the bummer for Florida state is Miami's not ranked, although we'll see potentially could be um, by the time that next weekend comes around. Florida probably not going to be ranked and not going to be given a whole lot of regard just because of. Let's be honest, they're very inconsistent this year. You don't know what Florida team is showing up. So I I, I hate that coaches live in a process world, fans live I think and in, in media in a result world. And this CFP discussion is an optics world. It's it's a very weird way that we're getting to the final four. I do feel like twelve is is maybe not the number I wanted. I was maybe preferring eight in the end, but once you go to 12, then you have, you have less of that. Well, who's five, who's six, does Florida state drop down because of another school looking good in November? I do think 12 is maybe a better number in the end game for, for where the playoff is going to go.
2: There's two negatives I see guys. First of all, if I'm commissioner of the big 10, I have the chance, the potential for, for, because Michigan and Ohio state play each other and then how that works out in the, in the bowl game, or excuse me, the championship game, that, that I could fall behind Washington, and one of my teams with that one loss could end up being number five. More scary is that the committee says, well, it was Michigan-Ohio State. We're going to keep both of them in and then move Washington up, and then FSU's on the outside looking in at number five. That's your old man Uh paranoia
0: coming in, KJ. And probably so.
3: And what happens no, if Georgia I, loses an SEC championship game? And then, I mean, do you have a, a scenario where two SEC schools are bidding? It, it, it There are some nightmare scenarios. Right, you know.
0: right. Well, Bob, as you know, here in my household, uh, there's a lot of rooting for LSU that goes on. And this is a big week for FSU fans to root for LSU to beat Alabama because it will add more credence to Florida State's win there. But I, I'm rooting for the antithesis of what you just said. I want LSU to beat Alabama and then beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. So Georgia's a one-loss team, and we're flirting with, does the SEC get somebody in or not, which seems sacrilegious in college football to even say, but I think you'd have to consider that. And, Keith, to your point, yeah, in that game, we need either Ohio State or Michigan to win by two or three touchdowns in that yeah, game. We do not need we big. do not need 31 to 28 in that game to keep them both in. I, right. I agree wholeheartedly with that. The one thing that does seem clear to me is that by Florida State being number four, There is no margin for error. Florida State does not have anybody significant enough on the schedule left to lose a game and still get in. I I just don't see it uh, based on who they play. What do you think?
3: Yeah, I'll I'll definitely admit I was wrong on this one back in maybe early, mid-September. I felt like there was going to be a lot of one-loss teams in the playoff. It's sort of looking like, obviously, the Ohio State-Michigan game will be a differentiator as far as seeding at the very, very least. But yeah, I think the unfortunate thing is, um, even with Boo Corrigan on the committee, even with Jim Grobe, the former Wake Forest coach, on the committee, it feels like there is some ACC voice in the room. But you do question how much is the ACC viewed as far as just your your quality of victories, your strength of schedule, and such. Um, you know, Pat Burnham's kind of been beating the drum that you want Louisville to be in the ACC championship game. Because then that's a highly ranked CFP team and you want Florida State to go to Charlotte to beat Louisville because then it, it continues to build that Florida State resume. I think he's got a really good point there just as far as you have to, you have to stack enough impressive wins. But again, this is the problem with the optics discussion. Um, I, I don't feel like a, a 13-0 Florida State going to get left out of any discussion, but it, it shouldn't even be a discussion too.
2: Isn't it amazing? And let's go back five weeks, and we're sitting here talking. All right, if FSU runs the table, they're going to play maybe rematch with Clemson, or they're going to play North Carolina. Ooh, look, look what Carolina's doing! Or it'll be a rematch with Duke. None of us were talking about Louisville four or five weeks ago.
3: Yeah, I mean, we talked about Louisville when the summer. schedules
0: came out yeah. in July, and we looked at it and said their schedule's pretty soft. They could have a fat record, but I don't know that we thought they would be contending for this. I think if you had to crystallize Florida State fans' angst at the ACC, we talk about the revenue and that matters. But I really think it comes down to these situations right here when Florida State never gets the benefit of the doubt for anything they've done in the league because the perception of the ACC is that it's terrible. And that hasn't changed in years. Now, if Clemson if Clemson had been what we thought Clemson might be and was 7-1 and one right now, You'd have two teams at the top, and that would change the perception this year. But when you look at it, Miami hasn't done anything in two decades. Anytime North Carolina gets to 3-0, and they talk about them like they're going to win the national title on Tobacco Road, and then they implode multiple times. Duke didn't do FSU any favors by playing Florida State well and then completely laying an egg against Louisville. So I think this is the thing that FSU fans get tired of the most is trying to defend that Boston College is actually not a bad team, even though it's Boston College do we know that Boston College is not better than Kentucky or Florida honestly I mean the metrics might tell us one thing but they're five and three in a different team with this quarterback now but we're going to sit here and argue about it and uh, I mean even Boo Corrigan brought up that well it was the red bandana game I mean the committee's looking at the red bandana game to give Florida State the benefit of the doubt at B.C. That seems a little
2: a little far. And the other thing it speaks to, Tom, I'm not disagreeing and kind of echoing, but, you know, when Florida State was in the middle of the dynasty, that 14-year run, even though it was the ACC, because they were so dominant, and obviously we didn't have the playoffs and that type of thing back then, but, you know, in order to be successful in the ACC, you have to dominate the ACC. And if you don't, then there's always going to be that cloud.
0: Well... Miami and Florida were also in the top five or top ten annually during that run, so it didn't matter that the ACC was terrible because if you beat Miami and Florida, you had two top five or top ten wins. Then now you don't have that based on where they are. I don't know. I can I, I can tell you know I enjoyed not watching this the college football selection playoff selection show for the last several years because it's still just one big beauty contest at the end of the day, and that's all it is again right now and. Uh, the most beautiful Florida State can look is if they're unblemished and they're 13-0 after the championship game. Other than that, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, enjoy your Chick-fil-A sandwiches or, or oranges down in South Florida or whatever works out forever. And even
2: if you are 13-0,
0: and 0, you're probably still number four. Which is okay. I'm not going to complain about the New Orleans versus California thing. If this Florida State team is in the playoff, shut up and play, which is the attitude the football team would have. Uh, and it doesn't matter who you're playing. So I'm not going to get picky on that one. I just want to see him make it in.
3: I think part of the discussion, too, is this this validates what Mike Norvell has done, his plan, his vision for the program. And there were doubts all along, right? I mean, there were doubts during the COVID year. That Jacksonville State loss, I think, still stings. But maybe something the coaching staff really learned from. Maybe those leaders really learned something from that kind of game. And, and this, this really, I think, emphasizes – the job that mike norvell the staff the players you see a lot of veteran leadership on this roster Um, i I think that kind of underscores a a really really impressive turnaround for this
2: program too another thing guys again from the old guy reflecting back multiple years that jacksonville state game 10 years from now 20 years from now we're going to talk about um as being what turned the program around um and I mean, I even go back to 92 when you're down at Georgia Tech and, and the coaching staff is so frustrated and, and Brad Scott finally convinces Coach Bowden to go and let turn Charlie loose in the hurry up. I mean, that 92 Georgia Tech game, although it wasn't a loss, that's what propelled Florida State for the next eight or 10 years. Um, I think we're going to look at the Jacksonville State game even in a, in a loss in, in much the same fashion at some point.
0: Bob, one question, and we'll let you go, related to Pitt this week. Is FSU going to see the Pitt team that has packed it in and completely quit on its coach and is going to lose even worse than last week? Or did their kumbaya moment on Sunday and Monday mean that Florida State's going to get the Pitt team that's fighting for the, uh, I guess they're not ghosts yet, but uh, for the uh, the legend of Dan Marino and Hugh Green and Tony Dorsett and Jackie Sherrill and all of that?
3: Yeah, I think... I think coaches after games are probably at their least um thoughtful and, and carefully choosing words. Let's be honest. Um these in-game interviews too are typically pretty awful. You don't get a lot of um, you know, great stuff out of out of coaches when I watch them on ESPN and such. I, I think it caught players by surprise to see quotes like that on Twitter. I think what we're gonna see is probably a, a more focused and better Pittsburgh. But man, they've they've imploded just about everywhere from offense to defense. This doesn't feel like a Pat Narduzzi team. You've moved, uh, you know, Phil Drakovich to to tight end, and who knows what's going to develop there. They haven't been able to establish, I think, a real a real strength on, on offense. So this feels like like a, a game where if Florida State treats it like it's going to be a cakewalk, then you're going to be in trouble if you treat it like the trap game that it maybe appears to be ahead of a Miami coming off a CFP announcement, then it it could be one where you take a couple punches early and you really have to respond to adversity on the road. If you take it to them early, it could be a Wake Forest type of game where you've put them away early and you just have to maintain that intensity for, for the full game.
2: Guys, I read early this morning that, uh, the press release from Pitt that uh, Narduzzi has agreed to attend the Dabo Sweeney School of Public Relations. Uh, so he'll, he'll get some help there.
3: In the history of coaches' shows, Dabo takes number
2: one. He's the Jerry Springer. I'm sure that... He's the Jerry Springer of coaches' shows.
0: Have you guys ever stopped and looked at what you get if you spell Dabo backwards? Oh, bad. Take a look. Take a look. All right, we'll go to break. Come back to talk more about Florida State football and Front Row Knowles right after this.
1: Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank studios.
0: We welcome you back to Front Row Knowles. We're going to continue the uh, football discussion, also talk a little football in uh, this segment. Thanks to Bob Brante for joining us. Last segment, we keep the Earl Bacon Agency hotline open and say hello to our longtime friend and one of the only Buffalo Bills fans I actually know personally, Ron Vitrano. How are you, sir?
4: Guys, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Just living the football dream and a little soccer this week. So it's all good.
0: So, for context here, Ron used to do a radio show in town. Uh, Ron and I connected back when we were doing the nightly Nextel Florida Sports News for Sunshine Network or Sun Sports. I don't remember what it was at the time we were doing. It wasn't Valley Sports. I know that. <laughs> and uh, and now is what what is these card say for ABC and ESPN? Computer graphics, computer stats, head honcho, owner. What does it say on there?
4: <laughs> Everybody's different. Uh, some some weeks it feels like associate producer, others it's graphics interface coordinator. Uh, just don't call me late for lunch at the may- pregame meal, that's all. What you're saying Oops. is you spend a lot of time in a truck somewhere most of the weekend. We do, getting ready for games, bringing everybody the sights, the sounds, the pictures. Uh, I've done mostly all season on the SEC. The game of interest here locally that I did this year was last week. I did uh, Duke at Louisville. And I know everybody here in Tallahassee is probably saying, OK, we, we could see them at some point. So, it, you know, interesting uh, to get around and to catch some of these teams.
0: Have you done any of the top four teams
4: based on the college football playoff rankings or top I, I, six? I, I have not. Um, I'm hoping to get to one of those in, in one of the final weeks. Uh, I started the year on the SEC package. Uh, I've morphed to some other games the last few weeks. Um, You know, probably the team that is most intriguing that I did this year was Alabama, who, you know, just has struggled their way through, but still wins four straight conference games, first place in their division, but certainly beatable.
0: Have you seen the dogs yet? Did you do any of the Georgia games?
4: Have not done a Georgia game. Um, Listen, Georgia's, I think, along the same lines as Alabama, though. You know, I did them several times last year in their run and they're just, they're just there, you know, they're, they're powerful. They have their lapses, but Tom and Keith, you know, this, they escape the games they're supposed to escape. Uh, And even if they get off to a slow first half, they dominate the second half, Georgia surprises me. They're not number one. I'm not sure how uh, in the whole scheme of things, you get knocked out of that spot when you haven't lost a game.
2: Well, you win 25 in a row by being able to escape because there's going to be a time or two along the way or, in Georgia's case, 10 or 12 times, <laughs> when you've got to find a way to win. Without to question. Win. What team have you seen, just as we get started talking about, what team have you seen that Florida State might, uh, fans might not have on their radar that you went, hey, that's a pretty good ball club that nobody knows about?
4: Well, you know, unfortunately, I don't get the those lower-level teams that you kind of look at and say that. I always say the sneaky team that always, I say, can beat anybody on give, any given week is Ole Miss. I cover them twice this year. Uh, I've been there. It's a raucous atmosphere. They're clearly well-coached, but they always flow under the radar, Keith. You know, that's a team that offensively can put up points at any minute. Um, you know, the one big test I would have loved to see them win was against Alabama. They lost by 10 in that game. Uh, you know, I was there for it, and you just – that's a team that when it gets down to the nitty-gritty, you always have to look out for because it, it seems like they have something up their sleeve. And they do, you see any
0: way, do you see any way they could beat Georgia in a couple weeks?
4: Uh, I do. I, I and the reason I say Georgia's obviously more talented on the lines. And when you get physical, Georgia can play with anybody in college football, clearly. But you know, Lane has a way sometimes. I covered him when he's when he was down in South Florida, and he took just a horrible team down there and turned it into just a a, a speed show and made sure that no matter who he played, they had to worry about his offense. And the same thing happens right now with Ole Miss. You can't lay back on them because they can strike instantly. And I think that's one thing we've seen from Georgia is they can be a little vulnerable. Well, I think Ole Miss is a team that could get up 21-0 quick in the first half, and Georgia could be saying, oh, wait a second, we've, we've got to catch up now, which they can. But um, Ole Miss is sneaky. Sneaky quick, sneaky good.
0: We're talking with Ron Vitrano who works in the TV trucks for ESPN, ABC, longtime friend of ours, friend of the program. Uh, and we're going to talk about the, uh, the Geo Cup here momentarily. But before we leave football, Ron, let's get to the important stuff. <laughs> what is the best grub or the best establishment in any of these SEC towns? When you go to Oxford, where does somebody have to go? When you go to Athens, I mean, I know you have a, a spotting chart that identifies if you wanted to get, say, a cold beer or
4: seltzer, where you might go. Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Uh, you know what? Typically, I, I'm bad. I'm horrible. I'm like Keith. I forget these names sometimes of these places. You can go out of
0: the SEC. You can you can expand it to all the college towns you've been.
4: Well, to. I mean, truth be told, is is uh, Mickey's Dairy uh, Barn is is without well, question the best diner in the entire country. It's in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, It's legendary. It's over 100 years old. It's one of those places. It's almost like if you're going to uh, Moz in in New Orleans, the line is like down the street. It's, you know, but guess what? It goes so quick and you get in there. They have a menu board with the original prices, the original menu board still on the wall where you can get yourself like a, a dime shake milkshake and, you know, eggs and toast cost you just, you know, 15 cents. And it's absolutely phenomenal. You guys will appreciate that. It is so greasy. You want to go back 10 minutes later and get more.
0: So so thanks to the recommendation of our good friend, Craig Rothberg. I actually went to, uh, it's Mickey's, right? Dairy Mickey's, Bar, yeah. is that what you them? You got yeah, it. Yeah, I was driving uh, for, uh, on, the, on the baseball stadium tour this summer. We were going from Milwaukee to Minneapolis, and we detoured through Madison just to eat at the Greasy Spoon Diner, which for FSU fans, it's akin to the Mecca when that used to be over uh, next to Bill's on, on Copeland Street, I would say. All right. Well, Ron Vetrano is uh, the uh, president, the Grand Poobah, the CEO of the uh, Giovanni Vetrano Foundation. And Ron, I'll let you enlighten our listeners about that real quick uh, as we shift gears here for the next portion of our conversation.
4: Sure. You know, we started the foundation two years ago. My son, Giovanni Vetrano, passed away in a tragic accident. And in that moment, you try to think of what you can do uh, to help out. A uh, good friend of mine and vice president of the foundation, Mike Famy started a GoFundMe. I yelled at him. I said, why would you start a GoFundMe? He said, trust me, this will, this is going to be a good thing. And it was because uh, Giovanni was so popular, we we had over $30,000 in donations uh, to the GoFundMe. And that's what launched the Giovanni Vitrano Foundation. The night before he passed away, he was sitting on the Leon soccer bench. He was a big soccer player, played club soccer, high school soccer. I uh, just loved it. So I said, no better way to, to use these funds than to give away scholarships. So that's how we started the Giovanni Vetrano Foundation. Two years later, we've given away six scholarships, over $20,000. And we are now in our second year of the Geo Cup, uh, which now is expanded to the girls division. So we're growing, we're getting better, and we're continuing to help out some of those local soccer athletes. Well, take that one step further. Tell, tell,
2: tell our listeners about the Geo Cup, because that, that was a little interesting coming together in its own
4: right. Yeah, you know, you have to organize soccer. Last year, we did it with four boys' teams, the top teams in town Lincoln, Leon, Charles McClay, uh, had them battle it out. We had a concert afterwards. I realized I wasn't a concert promoter. So we eliminated that this year, and we've got bigger things down the road to help raise money. Uh, But I wanted the GeoCup to be the launch pad. Let's get the top teams in soccer in the area. Uh, we get the girls involved this year, same teams with Lincoln, Leon, Charles McClay. We get them involved. But what we do is we announce the scholarship. We show all the parents and all the kids uh, that, hey, hey, this is here for you. Come play soccer. Let's kick off the season. Let's open up the scholarship and show you what you can have at the end of the year. So, um, we hope to even to expand, Keith. Next year, add a couple out of town teams. We want this tournament to grow into something that people want to come see every year, and then realize the scholarships. There. And, and Ronnie, this is not money for the,
2: the top flight players in the area. This this is money for the rank and file high school kid that you know is not going to sign a scholarship to go to school. Just loves the sport of soccer, and you want to give something to him
4: without question Um, they don't have to go on to play soccer. That's not a prerequisite. We want those that are hard and gritty and they just put their nose to the grindstone in athletics academics and outside the classroom. And if you're good in those three areas, um, you know, you're going to be a finalist. Jose Gonzalez was our winner from child's last year. He was the sixth man for child's. He was the guy that came off the bench, but he was the spark plug. He was the grit that, that his teammates loved. Um, He he was great academically. Um, So that's that's all we're looking for, you know, and Patrice Drayton from, from, um, from uh, now it's going to kill me what school she went to. Patrice was one of the top girl players last year. Um, She went to West Florida college. She wasn't going to Harvard or Yale and she wasn't like the best in her class, but she was just a player. And Keith, we want people that just represent Tallahassee the best that they can good people and um, just just great on and off the field. By which, the, which, by the, by way, the Patrice, way, Patrice was Godby. Which, by the way, was exactly what Gio was. He was a spark plug, yes. And that, it's funny because when we look at winners and we go over all the finalists, I, me personally, I'm looking for that gritty person, you know, that team player. Um, in addition to everything else. That's the wonderful part. That's why to be able to add Tom to our foundation this year is one of the board members and Chris Petley, who's the director of communications for Leon Schools. Uh, You get different perspectives and we wanted to grow that, Keith. We wanted to make sure that everybody's included, everybody's thought of and everybody has a chance to win.
0: I was just going to mention that in in full disclosure, I'm uh, I'm on the board and glad that I joined the board uh, this year, Ron. And so the Geo Cup it was at Leon last year and Geo played uh, at Leon. This year it's at Chiles. And so we've got games on Thursday and games on Saturday this week. And uh, it's a great cause, but it's also great soccer because, as you mentioned, these are the top teams. And so- Tallahassee's, I think a lot of us think of Tallahassee as being a, a good baseball community, which it is, but it's also a very good soccer community.
4: It really is, and it starts young here. You know this. You you have a child that plays at ASG and has played for Andy Warner. You've announced games with Andy Warner before. He's, he's a recognized soccer figure nationally that actually teaches kids here in Tallahassee. So we have that base. And then when you get to the high school level, heck, you know, when Giovanni played, Leon High School was actually number one in the country for four weeks, and they were nationally recognized. They ended up losing in the playoffs, but even Childs has been – probably the most successful team in Tallahassee. They went to the state finals last year and Warner, Andy Warner at McClay always has them in their, you know, in their rankings and their classification is one of the best teams in the state each and every year. So after they get through Warner and they get through Florida elite and those great lower programs that we have, ultimately they're getting to a great high school team
0: mentioned it's at child so 5 30 and 7 30 matches on thursday night and then a full day on saturday and uh come out the proceeds obviously a benefit the giovanni vetrano foundation this is also a a week from a donation standpoint uh ron where there's a generous donor who has agreed to match dollar for dollar anybody's donation if it comes in i guess before november 4th is that right
4: that's right it started on sunday it runs all the way through the end of the geo cup saturday night um Dollar for a dollar, you you know, no matter what somebody donates, they will match it. Um, last year, it was great. We had over $5,000 in donations and it was matched. And it's just, it's great to have somebody out there that's doing that. We had that again this year. And of course, uh, we raise money by having people come on out. So go online, go to gvscholarship.org, uh, pre-purchase your tickets. We've got for all the soccer parents. We've got great shirts that have the school logo on them, their color, and you can put your kid's name and number on the back, personalize it right on our website, and not just wear it for the Geo Cup if you go, but wear it all season long to show off your, you know, your parent's spirit and um, you know, just carry it through the whole season. So, gvscholarship.org is where you can make a donation that will be matched 100% or get your tickets.
0: gvscholarship.org, the Geo Cup is on Thursday and Saturday. Ron, we appreciate your uh your devotion to this cause, which is great for the soccer community and to honor Geo, uh in perpetuity. We appreciate your college football expertise. I guess we'll give you a little credit on your on your picks of, of where to eat in college towns, although Madison, Wisconsin, maybe when FSU joins the Big Ten, FSU <laughs> fans can go there to Mickey's in Madison, right?
4: Well, listen, I always say this. Yes, no question. But Tom. You know, the atmosphere in some of these schools is better than the restaurants, and Madison is one of those places where if you go on a college tour, just go through Madison because you won't regret it. It's just, it's a great place to watch a football game. By the way, Ronnie, in
2: in addition to all the things that that Tom spoke about, we kind of, just like you, you're you're a pretty cool guy, so we like hanging out with you a little bit, too.
4: Once in a while, Yes.
0: We you know often when we get together Keith Ron and I reminisce about all those Bills Super Bowl championships but it, it it's a pretty short night when we do that I'm sorry actually, did you so. say
4: championships or did you say appearances Listen and the funny thing is really quick is I walk I've worked 15 straight Super Bowls and I walk in the TV truck last year and they love making fun of when the Bills aren't there and I walk in the TV truck and they have a sign hanging in the TV trailer that says Bills B I L L S Boy I love losing Super Bowls and uh, I think I just almost needed to walk out at that point.
0: It's good to see that you've made the same impression on your current colleagues as your former colleagues. <laughs> Ron Madrano, thank you, sir. Thank you, guys.
4: Us- Always a pleasure. I appreciate Give it. Give us the website one more time. GVscholarship.org.
0: All right. There you go. We'll take a break. Come back and wrap up Front Row Knowles right after this.
1: Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios.
0: Front Row Knowles, thanks to uh, Ron Petrano for joining us as well. We do that annually uh, to support his foundation, uh, Keith and I. Didn't know Geo personally. I, I mean, I remember Gio when he was probably two years old when we worked uh, together. Ron and I worked together. But uh, his son is a goalie and pretty heavily involved in soccer in, in the community. Uh, Ron's son Gio is a goalie who played at Leon High School. And uh, obviously, he and I are friends. And uh, a tragic, tra- tragic incident when he lost his son. So whatever we can do to, to help get word out about that. So that's why we take a little time to do that.
2: And it's very, very, very enjoyable to pick on Ron about the Buffalo Bills because let me tell you something. You, you talk about someone, um, what's the word I'm looking for, being a true fan. He's 1,200 miles away or however far Buffalo is from Tallahassee, and he's not lived there in 15 years, maybe 20 years, uh, but he still bleeds Buffalo Bills. <laughs> mean mm. You know,
0: I need to give Ron some credit here because he and uh, another gentleman, Matt McPherson, who we used to work with when we were doing this nightly Nextel Florida sports news show, which was really like a sports center for the state of Florida. I grew up in South Florida, not a hockey guy. I grew up before there were professional hockey teams in the state of Florida. Right. And we would come out of lightning games or, or Panther games and we would show highlights from around the NHL. And uh, kudos to Ron because he was the one who helped me with the pronunciations and all the hockey terminology and learning the game. And he could have put me out on an island or hung me out to drive, but he actually was, uh, at least to my knowledge, he was telling me factual information and pronunciations, and that's what I
2: went with. Well, the other funny part of that is occasionally I would get asked to fill in for that, sometimes for you, sometimes for Barry. Uh, And I had it written in my contract. Now, remind you, there was no contract. But I had it written in my contract. I didn't have to talk about hockey because, first of all, I don't even understand the rules. And, second of all, I'm from Wildwood. Uh, pronunciation is not a big, big part of my repertoire. So I,
0: I got left out of all of that. Nor, nor is ice skating or hockey in Wildwood, Florida. You are
2: correct.
0: You are correct. Two, two and a half minutes to go. Keith, you mentioned at the top of the show about Pitt having some emotional Issues potentially. I mean, we can summarize this briefly. Basically, Kurt Narduzzi, after the game last week unintentionally threw his team under the bus. I, I When you listen to the full clip, I don't think that was his intent, but you see it on social media, and that's what the players reacted to. It comes out as con- context is, is key in everything in today's world, and, and generally it's lacking. But he more or less said, you know, we had a lot of good players on our team last year, and we lost them, and I didn't do a good job replacing them, as you can see. And then he went on and continued his thought. Well, the current players took that as what is you, what are you saying? We're not any good, and so they had to kiss and make up on Sunday and Monday. And that's why I say, you know, uh, was it a good kiss or not? That's what we're going to find out on Saturday, right? Did the pit players buy it, or are they just
2: even matter at their coach? Well, you you use the, the the phrase "kumbaya," uh, and and that certainly is a possibility when you when you rally around each other. Uh, when there's a misunderstanding and you do make up and 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 then fully have an appreciation for what was really said as opposed to just how it was reported uh there's the potential for an upside to that so uh that's what i mean by um what what pit team are you going to get and then we talked about the field we talked about you know i don't even i haven't even looked what the weather's going to be like but it's it's going to be other than uh what you would normally associate in in florida um it's away from home you've been home for three weeks in a row um are, uh, you know, subject to, to the white forest travel. It, it's just an interesting game. And if Florida State, uh, you know, is not on focus, and I have every reason to believe that they will be on focus, but if they are off a little bit, uh, this is a stumbling block.
0: Separate the coach. If you're a player who has to watch tape after you got beat 58-7, to seven, if you take pride into the equation, you can still say, I don't care what the coach thinks about us. We're better than fifty-eight to seven, and you would think you would get a more inspired effort from Pitt this week, which is why it's important for Florida State to play inspired. And I thought they did that against Wake Forest last week. Uh, we we talked a lot, you know, Wake's that sleepy place; it's easy to stub your toe. And Florida State came to play. They got this
2: won't be a sleepy place, but they got to come and do the same thing this week against Pitt. And and the one thing that I do like has happened and is now being paid attention to by the national media. Is both offensively and defensively the statistics Florida State's statistics are starting to register, particularly on the defensive side, uh, yards given up per play, points given up. Um, you know the, the, they didn't give up an, a, a touchdown pass in the entire month of October defensively. Those are things that the national folks are starting to pay attention to, and Florida State getting the recognition. You know from a statistical standpoint, not just the eight and Well, as long as the
0: statistics say positive on the left side of the dash and the number zero on the right side of the dash in the win-loss column, I'm going to be good. We're out of time, folks. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.